0: Amen. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. I don't know if it is the, uh, the old wrestling fan in me, but when we sing songs like that and, and it just, it just speaks to my heart, I, I want to just give a woo, right? And I'm not, you know, not, not a Ric Flair woo, but kind of a Ric Flair woo. Like just an excitement of, man, that's good. Amen. It is good. Nothing compares to the glory of our God. Nothing compares to the splendor of our King. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's worth being excited about. Amen? And so, just a woo! all right, it's good stuff. And so, anyway, take your Bibles, and let's open together to Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, last week. We're going to look at the great announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38, let me remind you that if you are are just joining us this week and you weren't here last week, what we saw is that everything in verses 1 through 25 that happens with the conception of John the Baptist is in some way, shape, or form preparing us for what we're going to see with the conception of Jesus in this text. So everything we saw last week was there to prepare us for what we're going to see this week and ultimately what we saw is that with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, the barren woman who was past the age of childbearing was able to have a child through the miraculous acts of God because nothing is impossible with God. And we're going to see this morning that the virgin who's betrothed or engaged to a man who has not yet known the man intimately is going to conceive and bear a child because nothing is impossible for God. Amen. Amen. And so it's worth us remembering that as we make our way into the text this morning. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 26, and we're going to see in this text three truths concerning Jesus revealed through this great announcement. So Luke chapter 1, picking up in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name... Lord Jesus, we again thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning and to worship you not only through song, but Lord, to now be able to come before your word and worship you through the word. I pray that we would come to this text this morning, Lord, with great anticipation, not only of what has been announced, but Lord, what we know has come. And Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would be glorified in us as we sit at your word and Lord, as we worship allow your word to work in us and through us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, that your will would be done in your house this morning. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see three truths concerning Jesus revealed in this great announcement. Number one, Jesus was born by a miraculous conception. Now, I know that we say that often, and I know that this is a point that we have come to know very, very, very well. As a matter of fact, this is a point that the outside world has come to know very, very well. But I want us to remember again this morning the significance and the importance of the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. So as we pick up in verse 26, notice that it is the sixth month that the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Remember, this is the sixth month, not of the year, but the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary's relative, cousin by the way, who is also with child, a child that we remember from last week was John the Baptist, who was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord by, again, remember, by being the first prophet of God that has spoken to Israel in 400 years. So just remember that 400 years God had been silent until Zechariah the priest goes into the temple to offer worship and incense to the Lord and it is there that the angel Gabriel first speaks to him and says, you in your old age and your wife in her old age are going to bear a son and this son is going to be sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. And so after 400 years, God is finally speaking again and what is he telling the nation of Israel. He is telling them that your Messiah is coming and that your Messiah is not going to be what you thought. It's not going to be even what you wanted. The Messiah is going to be the very son of God. And so after 400 years, God is speaking some incredible words. And so we first get the indication that something is going to happen. We're sort of prepared for it, and I would even argue we're a little amped up for it after what we saw last week. John the Baptist conception has got us thinking, something cool is going to happen. And so when we get to this text and we see that the angel Gabriel, the very same angel that spoke to Elizabeth I excuse me, spoke to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist angel, comes to talk to Mary, and we see that she is still a virgin, and that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who happens to be of the house of David, we get a little bit excited, because we know that God's about to do something really, really amazing. And so what does Gabriel begin to explain to Mary? Well, Gabriel begins to explain to Mary that she is about to conceive a child, even though she is a virgin, and even though she is only yet betrothed. Now remember, the term betrothed, it's just the fancy Jewish word for engagement. It doesn't mean exactly what our engagement means. It was a little bit more serious because remember to be uh, betrothed meant that you were promised in marriage. It took a certificate of divorce to end that. And during that time, they were considered to be legally married, although they did not live together and they had not consummated the marriage yet. They hadn't had the ceremony, if you will. Matter of fact, we're going to see in verse 56, 58, 56, that Elizabeth actually goes during this time and, excuse me, Mary spends three months with Elizabeth during this engagement or betrothal period. And so when the angel tells Mary that you're about to have a son, and then she, Gabriel explains to Mary and sort of describes to Mary what this child is going to be like in verses 32 through 33, it leads Mary to ask the question in verse 34 that honestly all the rest of us are wondering. And Mary says, how can this be? I am a virgin. In other words, Mary knows that it is absolutely impossible for her to conceive a child in her current condition. She has not yet been married. Her and Joseph have not been together. And so there's no possible way for her to conceive a child. But as the angel Gabriel explains to her in verse 35, he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I want you to focus in on that term Holy, because that's where I think we find our significance here in this beginning portion of the text. Jesus will be found to be or will be called holy. Now the question is how is he going to be holy? You see the importance is in the conception of Jesus that's what is going to make him holy. All throughout scripture we see that we are all sinners who are saved by the grace of God but we are born sinners separated from God, right? And we we understand this early on. We learn and we know what it means to struggle with sin, right? We we learn early on what it means to be tempted. I love those videos that are getting kind of popular now. They've been popular for a while where you, you know, put candy in front of your child and a camera in front of them and you tell them don't eat the candy and you walk away and you just wait to see how long it's going to take them to eat the candy right? When I was a child, you wouldn't have got out of the room. As soon as it went down, it would have went in. Down, in, down, in. I have no shame in my game. I'm going to eat the candy, right? So, we learn early on what it means to kind of struggle with temptation, what it means to struggle with sin. The older we get, the more we realize that, man, I'm a sinner. Like, I I, I do stuff that I shouldn't do, and I do stuff that I know I shouldn't do, And I do stuff that I don't sometimes want to do, but yet I find myself doing it anyway, right? And what Scripture makes clear is that that is what we call a sin nature. We we are born sinners. We are not taught to sin. No one had to take sinning 101 to learn how to sin, right? We are born with that sin nature. And Scripture tells us that it is passed down from one generation to the next generation through the seed of man. In other words, my children are sinners because I gave it to them. Just like my father gave it to me, and his father before him gave it to him, and so on, and so on, and so on. We are all born sinners, and it all goes back to the original father of mankind, Adam, who sinned against God, and from that point on, Adam has been passing that sin trait down from generation to generation through the seed of man. As a matter of fact, Paul says it in Romans 5, 12. He says, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death has spread to all men, because all have sinned. And notice, that covers every one of us, right? Right? There's not a person in here that is not born a sinner. There's not a person in here who did not start sinning at an early, 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 early age, right? And so all of us are born sinners, but yet this son who will be born to Mary will be born holy, undefiled, set apart for God. And the question is how? Well, the reason is because Jesus will not be born in an ordinary manner. Jesus did not come from the seed of man like the rest of us, but remember, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, and so he does not have the sin nature that we have. It was the power of the Most High that came upon Mary. It was the Holy Spirit of God that overshadowed her. And so this child was conceived not by the seed of man, but by the power and the miraculous works of God. In other words, he was not born a sinner. He instead would be born the Son of God, the spotless Lamb. He would be born holy. But also understand that because he was born via Mary... He's not only going to be the son of God, but he will also be the son of man. In other words, he is fully God and he will also be and is fully man, right? What does that mean? Well, that means that he is now a suitable sacrifice for us, right? He's a suitable sacrifice for us. If the currency isn't the same, then you can't pay the bill. Right, You learn that when you travel travel internationally. If you go to another country and you try to whip out your American cash to pay for something in their currency, they're most likely not going to take your American cash. Now, as Americans, our cash is good a lot of places, so it might work for you. But nine times out of ten, it's not going to work the way it ought to work because the currency isn't the same. And so in the same way, Jesus as the Son of God could not have been a suitable sacrifice for us if he was not also fully man, right? The currency had to be the same. That's why the conception of Jesus matters so much. He had to be born and conceived of the Holy Spirit or else he'd have been a sinner just like the rest of us. But because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, he is holy. But because he was born of the Virgin Mary... He was undefiled from sin, but he was also born a man, right? And so what we have is what the angel Gabriel describes in verse 35. We have the one who will be called holy, who is in fact the son of God. And understand the whole reason that Jesus was born fully man and fully God was so that he could do what God had called him and sent him to do. It prepares the way for what Jesus is going to do on the cross. It makes him a worthy sacrifice so that he can take away our sins. And it is only possible through the miraculous conception of Jesus. So we see, first of all, that Jesus was born By a miraculous conception, and then secondly, we see that Jesus was born with a divine character. Now, jump back with me into verse 32. Because in verse 32 and 33, this angel Gabriel explains and describes to Mary what her child will be like. Now this is similar to the description that Zechariah is given of what his child is going to be like back that we looked at last week. Although what we see is that Jesus is going to be even greater than John the Baptist. And so pick up with me now in verse 32. First of all, we see that he will be great. He will be great. Now, what makes Jesus great isn't what he's going to do. It isn't what he's already done. What makes Jesus great is the fact that in his very nature as God, he possesses the attribute of greatness. He's great because of who he is. Now, contrast that with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, notice back what we saw last week, he is great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's still good, right? That's fantastic. I would love to be called great in the eyes of the Lord, right? I'd love to be called great at anything other than just eating, right? But, but Jesus is great with no qualifier given. He's not great only in the eyes of the Lord. He's not great under these circumstances. He's not great because of this. No, he is great, period. Amen? Amen. He is simply great because of who He is. Well, not only is He great, but notice that He will also be called the Son of the Most High or the Son of God. In other words, the world is going to come to realize and recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. As a matter of fact, we see this play out throughout Scripture. Peter and the disciples, they recognize this in Matthew 14, 33, and they declare to Jesus, truly you are the Son of God. Demonic forces recognize this all throughout Jesus' ministry, by the way. Like in Mark three eleven, when a demon-possessed man falls before Jesus and proclaims, you are the Son of God. Jesus, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, is, is told by Martha, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And remember that centurion guard in Mark 15, 39, who is standing guard over the tomb of Jesus, when he finally sees Jesus, I mean, over the cross, when he sees Jesus die, and then he watches the earth react to the death of its creator? Remember that scene as the earthquakes, rocks burst forth, dead people come out of the ground and start walking around? Right When the centurion guard who's watching sees all of that, what does he say? Truly this was the Son of God. And even to this day... The world recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God. I actually find it ironic that even those that reject the notion that Jesus is the Son of God at Christmas time tend to acknowledge and even accidentally sing songs declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, right? I find it fascinating. We, Carrie and I have been watching Christmas things and to me it's funny that there are places where they would never utter the name of Christ in a positive light, but yet at Christmas time they're singing about Jesus at Rockefeller Center, right? It's just kind of ironic and it just makes me laugh because Jesus will be glorified, right? He is the Son of God. He will be exalted whether we like it or not. And so he not only is the, uh, the excuse me, he's not only great, He's also the son of God. But then we also see that he is the fulfillment of God's promises. Look at what it says in verse 33. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now verses 32 through 33 tell us that God has sent Jesus to fulfill his promises. Notice how. It is the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that Jesus fulfills. Therefore, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's the covenant that God made with David that Jesus fulfills. Therefore, he will be the king over the household of David. All the Old Testament covenants point to and anticipate and are fulfilled in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he fulfills all of God's promises and then he ushers in the new covenant whereby, remember, we are saved by grace and not by works. Isn't that good news? Because I tell you what I need, I need grace. Because I've looked at my works and they're not good. Amen? They're not. And so what we find is that Jesus is not only great, he's the son of God and he's the son of God that was sent by God to fulfill God's promises. But that's not all we see that he will reign and he will reign forever of his kingdom notice there will be no end now this is fun for us because we've been seeing this in the book of Daniel that we are still currently in and we've been leading up to in this christmas series we saw this in Daniel's chapters 1 through 6 we see that all the other kingdoms of earth will eventually fade right where where is where is great babylon now it's gone where's the persian empire now it's gone Right? Where's, where's Alexander the Great and the Greco, and, the, and the, 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 the Greece Empire? It's gone. Where's the Roman Empire? It's gone. Right? All the great kingdoms of the earth will fade, but God is establishing His eternal kingdom through His Son Jesus Christ, and it will never, ever fade. As a matter of fact, we haven't gotten there yet, but the next time we're in the book of Daniel, we'll get to this. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom will that shall not be destroyed. Amen? That is Jesus. That's the Messiah. That is the son that is to be born to Mary. And so God is establishing his eternal kingdom. Jesus has ushered in the eternal kingdom of God for all who will trust in him. You see, Jesus is the way in which mankind is able to be brought back in to that intimate and personal relationship that man knew only for a glimpse in the Garden of Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, they're present, walking daily in the presence of God. No sin, no problems, just intimate fellowship with God. But when sin entered in, sin destroyed it all. And that's why none of us have ever even been able to imagine what that might be like. That's why God sent Jesus. One that is holy, but one who is also a suitable sacrifice. So that when he came, he could make his way ultimately to the cross. So that he could die as a payment for our sin. So that he could pay the sin debt that we owed. So that we could be brought back into an intimate and personal relationship with God. So that one day we could experience what a relationship with God is like without sin. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, we've gotten a glimpse of it, right? We're not there yet. I've still got sin that gets in the way of my relationship with the Lord. But I know that he's taken my sin away. And one day I will know what it means to have intimate fellowship with God that is unhindered by sin. Amen. And I only have all of eternity to figure out how awesome that is. Amen? And so we see that Jesus was born by a miraculous conception. Jesus was born with a divine character. And then thirdly, we see that Jesus was born for a specific mission. Look with me back in verse 31. Verse 31, we are told that, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now Luke doesn't give us the significance of the name Jesus, but Matthew does. Matthew tells us that the name literally means God saves and that it is Jesus who will save his people from their sins. As a matter of fact, Matthew 121, and she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So that when the Israelites heard of the name Jesus, they knew that it was an inclination of what God planned to do through this child. Jesus came to save us from our sins. You see, mankind has been plagued by sin ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And remember what God told Adam and Eve? That if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. That's why we know, and scripture confirms, that the penalty or wages of sin is death. And that's why from Adam and Eve on, mankind has been plagued with the penalty of sin, which is death. We live and we die. And the only way for us to overcome death, the only way for us to have our sins covered and paid for, is if someone worthy could come and die in our place. Someone who had enough worth, That his death could pay for the sins of all mankind. That's why Jesus' conception means so much. Because he was not born of man, he was undefiled and holy. He was worthy. Because he was the son of Mary, he was the right currency, if you will. He was a suitable sacrifice for us. Because he was the son of God, his death was worth enough to cover the sins of all mankind. Amen. And so when Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins, his death paved the way for our forgiveness. His death covered our sins. And then when he victoriously rose from the dead and overcame death and the grave, he secured for us our one way ticket to eternity in heaven with him. Right. It was through his death and through his resurrection that our sins were covered, that our sins were paid for, so that we could have an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus that would last for eternity. The only thing that's left for us to do is to accept it by trusting in Jesus. As a matter of fact, we see a perfect example of what this looks like in the life of Mary in verses 36 through 38. Look with me. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and is this is now the sixth month with her, who was called barren. In other words, yeah, the Elizabeth, yep, yeah, your cousin, the old one, yep, yeah, you remember the old one that doesn't have any kids and hasn't been able to have kids. It's wrecked her life. Her and her husband, Zachariah, have been crying and mourning and dealing with this and praying about this for years and years and years and years. Yes, that cousin, Elizabeth, she has also, in her old age, conceived a son. And what does that show us? Verse 37, it shows us that nothing is impossible for God. Therefore, Mary, you can trust that a virgin can give birth to a son and that that son even be the son of God. Because I don't know about you, that sounds impossible. Amen? But nothing is impossible with God. And so, what does Mary do? Look at what Mary does in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary puts her faith and her trust in her God. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't fully understand how it's even going to be possible, how it's going to happen. She doesn't understand all of what it means, but here's what she knows. She knows that her God is good And she knows that her God is great and she knows that her God is worthy of her trust and faith. And so what does Mary do? Mary says, I'm your servant, do as you wish. That's the kind of faith and trust that it takes for us to put our faith in Jesus. It's not a simple prayer of, I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe he died on the cross. I believe all those great things that the scriptures tell us. It's more than that knowledge. It is the faith that says, I not only believe those things wholeheartedly, but I believe them so much that I am willing to follow Jesus. Where? Wherever he leads me. Amen? Amen. Wherever he leads me. Not wherever I want to go. Not as long as I stay in my community, and my town. Not as long as I got to live down this dirt driveway. Right? No, no, no. I'm willing to follow Jesus no matter what, wherever, whenever. Amen? That's what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Believers, that's what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with your life. Amen? And that's the faith that Mary demonstrates here for us in verse 38. So here is the reality. Here's the truth. God loves you. He loves you so much that he really did send his son, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, so that he could live a perfect, holy, undefiled, sinless life, so that he could ultimately die on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. So that our sin debt would be paid. And then he victoriously rose from the dead. Proving that he has power over death and the grave. Therefore securing our eternal life. If we will put our faith and trust in him. In other words if we will believe in all that scripture tells us about Jesus. Even the things we don't yet fully understand or know. Right? But that Jesus is the son of God that he did die on the cross, that he did raise from the dead, that he is coming back one day. And then it's me having enough faith, it's you having enough faith to say, Jesus, I believe those things and now I want to surrender my life to you. Now I want you to lead me and to guide me. I want you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. That's what it means. And that's what it looks like. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching us online and you've never trusted Jesus in that way before, then this morning I want to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby you confess that you are a sinner, that you, 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 you're one of the reasons Jesus had to die because your sin, and whereby you surrender your life to Christ Asking not only for his forgiveness, but surrendering your life to him. If you're watching us online, if you're in, in person, and you feel God speaking to you right now, like you feel something inside calling out, I want you to know that's proof that God exists, and that's proof that God loves you. God is speaking to you. And so in just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing our hymn of invitation. And as we do, that's your opportunity to come. If you're watching us online, reach out to us via our messenger. If you're here in the building, then I'll be standing down front and just come and say, Will, I want to give my life to Christ. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You say, well, Will, I've got questions and I need I need more answers. Then listen, that's fantastic. I want to talk to you today. Right. As soon as church is over, you make a beeline for me and let's talk, let's answer questions. But if you feel God speaking to you, then I'm here to tell you God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. Believers, let me encourage you to follow the example of Mary. And if you haven't said it in a long, long time, maybe today you need to say, here I am, Lord. I am your servant, Do to me as you wish. Use me, send me, move me, shake me, mold me, whatever you want to do, Lord. Here I am. Do it. Amen. You see, what I find happens in my life is I I pray, I figure out where God wants me to be, and then I just stay there, right? And that's good, because that's where God has me. That's where God wants me but sometimes we need to shake it up a little bit and just say, God, let me, let me pray and ask again. What are you doing, right? Where do you want me? Where do you need me? How do you want to use me? And so let me encourage you to do that before the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you again for your word this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work and that you would speak. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead and guide us now that we might respond in a way that would bring you glory and honor. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.